Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this Thursday, uh, the 9th of February? I'm doing all right, all things considered. Uh, that's not always true for all of us, by the way. So uh, just as a quick reminder, uh, more than 20,000 people uh, have expired uh, as a result of that devastating earthquake in the Turkey-Syria region. So, um, you know, if, you, if you've if you got some money burning a hole in your pocket, uh, whatever you can spare, you know, donate. I mean, 20,000 people are dead. That, that doesn't even account for uh, the people that have been put out or or you know burdened by this by this calamity um so they could there's a part of the world that really needs our help so uh, donate whatever you can um other than that you know i'm i'm glad to talk to you all uh i've been busy this week uh, it's been stressful because i was busy and i was doing a lot of stuff but then that whole uh syria turkey earthquake uh thing is you know that just trumps everything, doesn't it? It, 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 <laughs> it makes everything else pale. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you all. I, I, uh, I've been busy. I, I don't know if you've noticed, I started a new YouTube channel. So youtube.com forward slash at coffee software. Uh, it's, it's popping, right? People are starting to find the content and dig it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had, uh, I started, started the channel in the beginning of the year, right? Um, and uh, I went to uh, you know, I went from like zero to 200 followers over like eight videos over like a month, right? Um, and then I went from 200 to 400 and almost 500 right now as of this recording uh, in the last five days, right? It's just starting to like massively grow. So uh, uh, I hope you'll join me there. It's going to be fun. Lots of new content. I'm, I'm doing live streams. I'm doing, uh, you know, content and shorts and everything. So I'm, I'm trying to be, trying to release short, quick, useful content as often as humanly possible, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so join me there if you can. Um, and of course, today we have a, a great guest, uh, a great show. This is one of those shows where I've, I've, I've wanted to have this conversation uh, for a while because it's just something that is to me intrinsically kind of interesting, which is how can I use Spring Boot to build Kubernetes controllers, right? Uh, and then even more interestingly to me at least uh, is you know, can I use GraalVM native images to make that effort even easier? And uh, the answer is, as you'll find out with uh, today's amazing guest, our uh, Abel Salgado, um, the answer is uh, and a resounding, yeah, yeah, and it's really cool too. So uh, we'll talk to Abel about it today. He's um, he's a bit of a legend in the open source community. He does lots of cool stuff. He's a, a part of the Barcelona Java user group. Uh, he's a contributor to ASCII Doctor and, uh, you know, just, uh, and he works on the Spring Cloud uh, and Spring Team, um, you know, working on the professional sort of productized versions of things like Spring Cloud Gateway. Uh, so I was just very keen to, to hear from him today. Um, and so with that, my friends, uh, I hope you get something out of it. I hope you learn something. Um, again, if you can, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy the episode, but please, uh, whatever you can, donate to, there's countless organizations out there, right? Just just find one that looks legit, that is legit, uh, and then and let's see if we can make these people's lives just a little bit easier. You know, it's been one of those nightmare situations for people. All right, see you next week, my friends.
wanted, I just wanted to tell you before we get get started, I am so, so sorry about all the uh, weirdness with the schedule. It has been a very weird week, and uh, I know that you're a very busy person, so thank you so very much for, for being here today. Um, could you tell people who you are so that I don't screw it up? Yeah, well, my name is Abel Salgado Romero. I'm based in a nice town near Barcelona in Spain. Um, so it's like everyone knows it's constant party and sangria and lovely food <laughs> all year. And no work, no, <laughs> no responsibilities. Oh, and, and I work in the spring uh, commercial team. Uh, it's no longer no, known like that, but names have been changing lately and I don't even know now. We basically yeah. build products on top of the spring platform for customers right. and we make offer support like all that people i mean we have a spring that partially thanks to a lot of companies that pay for actual support and we right. help those companies and we make some additional products that are not available um, for the general public that's so awesome i yeah. first of all you're in you said you're in spain uh which is you know one of the most beautiful countries on the planet right and so on, but uh, there's a lively, amazing Java community there. There are several very yeah. good conferences there, very good community there. Uh, I don't know. Can you? Do you have any numbers on you? You you work on the Barcelona? Yes. Uh, um, or you participate in that, right? Exactly. It's it's not actually a work. We don't get paid for it. Um, but we we gladly uh, collaborate. I'm a member of the Barcelona Java Users Group. So that means just organizing meetups and things like that during the year. And then uh, during the summer, we organized in past the JBCN Conf company, uh, mm -hmm. conference. Uh, past edition was amazing because with the pandemic and everything, there were a lot of doubts at the beginning. Like, okay, we started to, to do the conference one year ago. We started like two years ago to prepare. Right. And at the end, thanks to things at least in Spain were, were pretty good at the end. Uh, we had like a lot of big positive vibes and collaboration at the end from companies, from attendants, and we have reached a record of a thousand attendees. And next year, yes, or, it was, or I should it was say, a big surprise. Uh, Felicidades, if you want to say it in Catalan. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah about, uh, okay. You know. Catalan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I spoke Spanish. No, no problem. No problem. Uh, there is a meme like Catalan people always will ask you to speak Catalan. Sorry. Um, no, that's fair. I should have recognized. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 please don't do that. That made me a meme more than what I already am. The, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a developer. Like my desk is in my living room. Yeah. So that, that's it. The it, Actually, the oh, is, that, I thought that was a wallpaper. I'm looking at your Zoom. I thought, so we're on Zoom right now. Yes. And I thought you had like a, a green screen or something of your, it's actually your living room. Yeah, it's actually, I live in kind of a loft, so everything is in one space. Uh, so you have, you have my dream, like, because I live where my computer is, you know, I, I have lots of other rooms I can go to. And sometimes I'll go and, you know, most of the time I'll, I'll go to the living room and I'll hang out with my family and we'll watch TV or whatever. But I bring my computer, it comes with me, you know, and that means I have to like pick it up and move it from one room to another. Oh, you, you're smart. Yeah, very smart man. You just put them yeah. right there, so there's no, un, there's no packing and unpacking. Yeah, well, people would say <laughs> it has like a, a context switch issue that you are always in the same space. Uh, and in fact, I have like my personal computer here, my work computer, and, I, and a switch. 
to change the screens <laughs> and money and everything. So right. when, when my work ends, it's like switch and go to the sofa and maybe watch a movie on the computer or play yep, some games. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think it's nice. I like it. I, I did a similar setup in my previous place when the pandemic hit and we started working from home in my previous yeah. job. And I, when I moved to my new apartment, basically I moved back to my hometown uh, to okay, stay with good. family and things like that. Um, I say to people a lot that, okay, if after the pandemic, your priorities have not been a little bit changed and you want to spend more time with family and things like that. I don't know what's, what's going to yeah. change your mind. <laughs> Um, very true, so I, and and yeah, uh, I decided to look for something similar. So I found this apartment. Everything is in one space. I have a couple of rooms. One is just for empty boxes and stuff, and the other is to sleep. And, right, and that's it. And that's fine. It's a small place, cozy place for me. It's I'm happy. That's that's wonderful. That's a good life. And and you know, yeah, the pandemic has really made. Uh, I. You know, I used to travel, you know, I used to get on a lot of planes and all that. And, uh, and but then the pet and I, I was thinking, I was always thinking, you know, when I, you know, we, we kind of adopted my daughter, you know, my, my kid. And so well, when she moved in with us, I was like, oh, I've got to like be home. I got to go home every weekend. You know, I really, I, it would be wrong for me to stay away like before you know i would just like hmm. i would just go to another country and if i had to be in france on friday but i had to be in you know italy on on monday you know i would just stay with the weekend in western europe you know that would be very easy but then my my daughter moved in and i said okay i i need to go home you know so i'd fly home on friday spend a couple of days or a day and a half in the united states and then i'd fly back to europe to get there by Monday or maybe Tuesday, you know? Um, and so uh, that it was very important to me. <clears throat> Family was very important to me. And then yeah. when the pandemic hit, it's a nightmare. You know, the pandemic is, it's terrible. I have COVID right now, COVID-19 as we are recording this. Uh, but, but, yeah. uh, but well, uh, thanks buddy. Uh, but, but, um, you know, the pandemic taught me, you know, I was really great. I was very sad, but I was very happy to have time at home with my, my family, you know, I just to see my, my daughter grow up, you know, and, uh, to be there, it was, you're a hundred percent right. That the pandemic changes yeah. everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it's been sad, but I try to look on the positive side always. Yeah. Um, because dwelling on the bad things is just useless. Uh, so yeah. time and efforts on that. And yeah. Yeah. And also I have, I don't have kids, but I have two nieces, small ones, and they are completely devils. <laughs> but it's fun playing with us. I'm like the the fan uncle that has cool video games and, yes. and buys the expensive toys. And my mom say, my sister says, I don't do that, I don't do that. But I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Exactly. Well, okay. So, yeah. so speaking of family, though, the uh, yes. the community is very important, right? I think the community is super important as well. Um, maybe not as important as family, but metaphorically, I think of them as family. And uh, you were part of the so like like we said you're part of the uh, the uh, Java user group ecosystem there and you have this amazing conference KBCN uh, I yeah, think I've spoken there yes uh, a couple of editions at least yeah I, I, it's a very good show very good show actually I have you know speaking we're doing a we're you and I are recording an episode of this podcast uh, socially distant obviously you're still in Spain and I'm in San Francisco 
there's no risk to our guest here that he'll get COVID from me. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, I actually recorded an episode of the podcast with uh, uh, Venkat, Dr. Dr. Venkat Subramaniam at that show. <laughs> I think I found a, a small room and I, we, we went off and recorded the episode live at that show years ago, back before the been, pandemic, you know? Should have been the, yeah, maybe the edition before the pandemic, 2019. That um, sounds maybe right, yeah. That's the one you you were both at the edition. Ah, uh, then that was, that, that must be it. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it's just, I, I have great memories of that show. So amazing people, you know, and also I'm there too, which I liked. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we try to make it uh, very good, especially for speakers. I like to show like we are you are our product. <laughs> we just sell you to, to the price. Right. Uh, so wow. we try to take care of, of that and also people. Everyone everyone thanks you a lot. And that's like the best thing at the end. After all the effort, all the sleepless nights, everything is just when people come to you and say, Hey, thank you. This is great. Uh, yeah. Everything was nice. It's it's just great. Um I love the community and and yeah. it's yeah. sometimes it happens. Um, so I have always told people that my job is to collect the hugs for the spring team, right? People, people love what the spring team are doing, uh, but the spring team doesn't come to every city, though I do. And so when I show up, they give me the hugs, even though I didn't do anything. I'm just a big fan, you know, um, yeah. and, uh, and I love conferences for that. That's a mandatory thing to me, too, like this year. We had an issue, well, always there are issues with the materials and they didn't arrive on the first day. So we had to give sure. t-shirts and the presents for speakers on the second day. And right. we have to go to the, we have like an organization booth in the exposition area. So come here and we will give you. And to make things special, we prepared kind of a show. Every time we gave the gift, we had to make the show. And the end of the show was required a hack. You can ask Nate Shooter. <laughs> he got <the> yes. <laughs> and, and. And yeah, that was our requirement. Like it, the the show ended like, okay, now comes the free hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, hugs are good for the soul. Yeah. Uh so so yeah, good. That's awesome. I love the community. Thanks for doing all that. That's cool. Um and now of course you are also a part of the big old spring team and, and uh community uh as well, because you're doing you're doing you're like right in the middle of all the cool cloud native stuff, right? Uh when I think of cloud native, is that still a cool word? Can we still talk about cloud natives? I think it, I, I think we know. can. I'll, yeah, I'll check yeah. the dictionary later. I don't know. It's 2023. Everything changes so quickly. But um, like a, I'm a bit cynicist already. Like, okay, I have seen a few trends uh, <laughs> change name. The basic ideas um, remain the same. So <laughs> Exactly. I'm going to go back and work on my uh, SOA. Oh, no, I mean microservice <laughs> architecture. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, so... Um, you work on stuff that is related to spring and spring in the cloud and spring boot and spring cloud, but also Kubernetes, mm-hmm. right? So two of, two of my all-time favorite things together. Um, uh, and when did you, well, first of all, when did you join the, the spring team? I mean, that's been a while now and uh, uh, I've been yeah. bothering you for at least a year. Two years and a couple of months. Um, two or three? Two. Two. Wow. Already, it was during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's so weird. It's so weird. I've been bothering you for at least a year uh, about. I have I have questions about this, that, and the rest because I I don't know much, you know. So, uh, but it just feels like it's been a lot longer than 
only two years, you know, you've done so much. It's been, it's been a really short. Um, I, I remember well, the yeah. day because it, it was the day before my, my birthday. Oh, so it's, it's, all, it's easy to remember and a nice reminder. <laughs> right. So, and, oh, it, okay. and it was a great present to join. <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, oh yeah, that, that's, yeah. I, I remember when I joined as well. Uh, because I just felt like I had won the lottery, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> there, there are, there are some amazing places to work on this planet. I'm not saying this is the only good place, but I definitely, I felt like, and I still feel like, I felt like because I get to meet people like you and, uh, and others on the spring team, I feel like we're very lucky, you know? So, okay. So now what are you doing? This is, this is the cool thing. I, I I'm kind of curious. You're, you're not you're you're working on the professional stuff for spring uh and in particular you're working on the operator for the spring cloud gateway right can you describe what spring cloud gateway is for people who can't figure out from the name uh spring cloud gateway is uh as the name suggests especially for the first and the last section is spring platform framework product that right. provides a gateway, a network gateway, as we know it, uh, to run your traffic, to apply transformations and do whatever you need. Typical pattern to manage microservices, and that's where the cloud section comes in the middle. Right. So you have the cloud joining two amazing APIs, Spring Framework and Gateways. Right. And that's mostly it. Uh, we There was already a product for the Pivotal platform. The... I don't remember the last name. Now it's Tanzu Application Platform, which is mm-hmm. a gateway you can also deploy automatically. And the next step, obviously, was making the transition to Kubernetes. Yeah. And that's what we offer. Basically, we realize, and because customers ask for it, that managing a gateway is not as easy as it seems. And while the gateway, the open source project is great and you can do great things, there's a lot like, not boilerplate, plate, but in partially, yes, like a lot of things that you need to do to properly run on Kubernetes that we mm-hmm. can do for you. Not every company needs to spend time coding that things. Right. So we can do it and we provide an operator that uh, does all the easy parts for that. It basically makes everything easy. So the gateway, it becomes, instead of being something you maintain as code, it's just a product you deploy. Like, okay, I need three right. instances. Here you have the instances. Uh, I need to add those filters here. You can just run a comment and add those filters. I need to scale it up. Uh, for Also even vertically, change the resources and gates. Uh, right. Well, so, okay, let's talk about that because you, meant, you just mentioned a very interesting dynamic, which I think a lot of people, well, to be fair, people listening to this show will probably kind of understand what you're saying. But I think if people f- Google, oh, Spring Cloud Gateway, and they don't know much about Spring, and they just know about networking and infrastructure, they're going to see hashtag Kubernetes, hashtag Gateway, you know, and they're going to think of something maybe a little different. They're not going to kind of understand why this is so magical, what you're talking about. Uh, Spring Cloud Gateway is, first of all, open source, patch to licensed mm-hmm. framework, right? It's a library that people can add to their code. And you can programmatically in Java code or Kotlin or Groovy or whatever, contribute uh, definitions for routes. These routes have 
things that match incoming HTTP requests? Are there other protocols supported, by the way? Uh, GRPC. GRPC. Right. And in part, um, I don't know, some of the GRPC configuration has been contributed by us. So we, nice. we take part of our work and we contribute to the open source project also. That is super cool. Ah, oh, that's like, I love that. Um, so, okay, you've got, you've got uh, GRPC and HTTP routes and these, you're matching incoming requests. You then apply filters to act on those requests. Those filters can do things like, uh, well, what are some common ones? Maybe you, maybe you cache the request. Sometimes, or oh, maybe a special Spring Security integrations to add additional validations. Uh, right. Some transformations, like I want to transform this JSON into this other JSON, things like that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, rate limiting, uh, retries, adding yes. headers, doing pattern matching on the incoming URL uh, to do re- in rewriting the URL and forwarding it. And then it's, it's basically a proxy. So you take the request, do these filters, then the request that's been modified with the filters onto the downstream URI, which could be some other host import, whatever. Uh, and then you take the response that's generated from that call to the downstream URI and send it back to the client. So you can... It's, yeah. It, it is what? No, I want to say, yeah, it's actually a proxy. The thing is that we try to avoid that word because it has like some low-level hardware infrastructure uh, right. types attached to it. And, and people assume proxies are silly. They just move things around. But the gateway is actually quite smart if you configure it. You can do, as you mentioned, like lots of matchings and different transformations. Oh, totally. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. It, but it, it, if you don't know about software in, with Java and Spring, then I think you could, you could look at like a Apache mod rewrite and kind of understand or yes. um, uh, Nginx Kong. or <laughs> Kong. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of... Well, Kong has code too, I guess. But, but think of like these declarative network HTTP proxies and they're, and, and they're not just dumb proxies. They do all this other stuff. You know, Nginx is, I think, the most popular example today. But when I started in, in this industry, Apache was the only thing in town, you know? Um, okay, so, so Spring, you can use, you can write Java code and you get this proxy, but it's just one jar and it just runs on one host and port. And you have to, and that's it. It's just Java code. So it doesn't have any, control over you know how you set up your network interfaces it doesn't care about what ips uh it doesn't know about dns right it, it's not it, it's not tied to your networking layer beyond what java it doesn't do. know about horizontal scaling for instance right right um uh so so okay clearly for what it's doing it's doing a lot but there's more to be done right um exactly. so now this gets us into, and, and I think the thing that needs to be done is no longer really tied to Java, right? It's, it's, it's by definition infrastructure specific. So you have a Tanzu application platform, Cloud Foundry integration. That's going to be a Cloud Foundry integration layer. And you've got Kubernetes, different infrastructure. Yeah. It's going to be very different there as well, right? Well, we do some also like custom filters and predicates for customers. And that's right. partially where the JRPC came from. Like, and, and it's an interesting exercise because we have like real requirements from real customers actually using that in production. Right. And we can build something, test it, improve it, and then we can move to the open source project. <laughs> so, cool. so it's not all infrastructure, uh, but mostly infrastructure at the end of the day. 
Right. Not well, I mean, it's, infrastructure. Yeah. it's fine no. infrastructure. It's it's code at the end of the day. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, but it's code that isn't it's hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's code. It's code. <laughs> it's just not code that I want to write. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like it's it's infrastructure, right? It's stuff that I'm very happy that you write and then I can deploy to production, right? Yeah, <laughs> I can focus on delivering my business value. Um okay, so you've got this amazing amazing opportunity to uh, provide integrations with your uh, with these advanced filters to cater to specific customer use cases. And you've got this amazing opportunity to integrate natively uh, with Kubernetes and with uh, the you know, Cloud Foundry through the Tanja application platform. Um, I know, uh, through the Tanja application service, right? Uh, and uh, yeah. I don't know. What, so, what are the, what, so what kind of professional features do people look for when they come to the professional Spring Cloud gateway for Kubernetes experience? Mostly, they just want to deploy and gates without uh, having to bother about anything else. Um, that's like the first use case. Like, we already have some gateways. We are thinking of replacing them. And yeah. the, two people, the two typical first questions are, okay, uh, other than how much does it cost, <laughs> obviously, yeah, is that uh, how hard is to deploy? Because, for instance, uh, some people come like, yeah, we have this thing and we have to build our own Docker images and we have our own building and testing and deployment. It's like, okay, don't worry. We have right. that for, done for you. You don't need to right. care. Just deploy our operators. We have, we support multiple installers. So choose the one you need. And if there is something missing, just report us and we can look into it. And it's right. easy to deploy. And the other one is uh, performance. And luckily, uh, performance, we beat everyone. According to our own graphs, of course. Sure, <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> but also customers confirm that. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I can confidently say that we have a, a very good performance. Is, and, that, and... is that partly because you're using reactive uh, APIs underneath? Because it is powered by the Spring reactive it stack, is... right? Exactly. It's if you ask me, that's like one of the downsides from a developer point of view. It adds a little extra complexity when developing. Yeah. But yeah, that provides a huge, a huge performance because you can see that after under a lot of load, you don't see huge CPU spikes as you can see nice. in traditional applications. Right. It's pretty consistent. Nice. I love that. It's, you know, slow and steady wins the race, and that's exactly what you want. Is you want infrastructure that scales smoothly not not you yeah know, you don't want crazy jerky stuff. especially in cage yeah exactly because you, you can start seeing cage decide like oh okay so this node has uh, it's starting to reach the maximum ram let's move pots to another place and it's like no don't move that pot right now it is doing something important you're going to keep yeah. the process it's, <laughs> it's so sometimes important. i'm surprised like okay why they do these things yeah it's well, it's, I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, Kubernetes is trying and our code is trying. Sometimes they just need to talk. Yeah. That's, and uh, to make these things talk, you need an operator, right? Um, can you describe yeah. what an operator is? Whoa, <laughs> that's a complicated <laughs> question. There are all these conversations like, it is actually an operator or a controller. <laughs> um, to me, it's yeah. like the short answer is, okay, don't, don't worry about the words. The idea is that uh, you have something. Oh, let's let's start from the beginning. When you interact with gates, you usually use the CLI. 
In the CLI, right. what you are interacting are resources. Like I want to create a deployment. I want to create a bot. I want to create a service. A service, a deployment, a bot. Those are resources in the cluster. Right. So one amazing thing that Kubernetes can do is I, you can yeah. create your own resources. And, you ma and to manage your resources, you need to provide an operator. An operator is just a component that it's listening to events. Like, okay, someone uh, wants to deploy, in our case, we call it a gateway, obviously. Someone right. wants to deploy a gateway. So our operator gets that request. And the same way that Cage will do when you try to deploy a deployment or a pod, we get that information that it's in a YAML file because YAML is the language of the future. <laughs> and you... Don't ever say that again. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I have another thing I need to tell you, by the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> we, we removed the banners from the application. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> you do or you don't? You said you don't, right? No, no, we removed that. <laughs> you do? Yes. Um, okay, interview over. I'm done. <laughs> I'll explain you later why. That's so oh. people stay until the end of the of the of the podcast. We will explain. <laughs> <it again. laughs> we remove the banners. You won't believe what happened next. Exactly. Um, the thing is that uh, we we get this request like, okay, someone is trying to deploy a gateway. We read the information with the configuration. Our resource has custom configurations for a gateway. Like, okay, which service you want to integrate with? What are the routes you want to deploy? how many instances right. of the gateway you want, things like that. We process that. And then under the hood, what we do is all the heavy lifting. We transform that into actual case resources like, okay, pods, uh, deployments, normal services, volume mounts, secrets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So we do all this heavy work for you. Nice. So it's just, you just deploy that and it just does the rest of it for you. Yeah. And, and it's because there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, well, yeah. That's the thing. It's not only about moving parts. It's also about um, simplifying concepts. Is you right. are no longer thinking about uh, all the pieces. You're just thinking at a higher level of, of abstraction. Like, okay, I need gateways. And I have these HTTP routes that I need to handle, this traffic, these yeah. upstream services. So you just think about that. You don't need to bother about all the, the stuff under the hood. Which is good. And, and I, so I think... Um... As a programmer, me, I quite like that I can, if I want to, start at the level of code. Uh, but I appreciate that for the 99% scenario, the 99% use case, most people just want declarative, you know, yeah. here's, here's my filters, here's my API endpoints. Just make that happen. Just do it, you know, leave me alone. I'll just make sure it works, you know, and scale yeah, up if necessary. And if we're talking about trends, uh, that's a trend and that's a future. I think that in a few years, we had this past year where everyone needs to learn Kubernetes. I think that maybe the next year people will start forgetting about Kubernetes. You don't need I to care so. about all those details. You will have platforms on top of Kubernetes that can deal for those things. For instance, the Tanzu platform, um, mm -hmm. and this is not a paid advertisement. It is actually a thing that right. I share. Uh, it's based on the idea that you as a developer, you don't need to care about uh, the details of case. So you create what is a workflow, which is also a custom resource that has its own operator. Right. Uh, you specify, okay, my, my application is indeed Git repository. It's a Java application and it will take care of building, testing and deploying in the gateway. I saw in the gateway, in the cluster. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. And that's the same for the gateway. And it's also, there is a popular... Uh, PostgreSQL operator also, 
and RapidMQ operator, um, everyone is moving to that direction of providing declarative in interfaces. Which is good because now I feel like I have um, Lego bricks, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and I... It's a scalability wait, I, problem. Yeah, it's a, a, a scalability human. of composition. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Me as a human, my brain, especially mine, cannot yeah, deal with too. more than two things at a time. So exactly. I need higher level abstraction so I can manage things, bigger things. And I think we're, we're kind of, we did something amazing here with Kubernetes. I, I think we have to, I think it has, this has to be the one, right? Even if it's not the best fit, we need to make it. And the reason is because every time we decide as a community on this is the new um, unit of composition for infrastructure, right? Every time that we all say this is it, then everybody has to change everything so that it, we can use that. So we saw this with uh, Puppet, right? In order to use Puppet, everything needs to be part of Puppet, the whole world, right? Uh, and then CF Engine, and then um, uh, what's that one in Ruby? Uh, Chef, right? Like, you know, every time we use converged infrastructure tools, uh, you know, you get all these plugins and all these ecosystem providers trying to build integrations with that tool. And of course, this this is a, you, you know, it's like boiling the ocean. Do you have that expression in Spanish? I'm not sure what you mean by boiling you, you, the ocean. You can't boil, you can't boil the ocean, right? Like it, you, boil means to make the water so hot that it yeah, becomes know, bubbly yeah. and, and it becomes steam. So you can't boil the ocean, right? Like it's, there's just too much. It's impossible. Like, uh, like doing something useless. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, we have an idiom, which is like putting a, a door in the middle of a, of a field. Putting a what? A door in the middle of a field. Right. Because it's useless. Yeah. You can just walk, walk around. <laughs> right. So, so, so it doesn't matter all the effort you put into it. It's not going to change anything. Exactly. So I feel like with Kubernetes, we are doing this. We are boiling the ocean. We've moved everything to Kubernetes, right? But as long as we all stick to it and we don't have to throw it away, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't, I, I think Kubernetes is magical because it gives us this uh, abstraction that lets us build on top of it instead of moving it away and replacing it with something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think we're in a good place. I think Kubernetes, like you say, will disappear eventually. People won't even realize they're using it because exactly. the level of abstraction will scale. Yeah, I think it has become, they made a very uh, smart design decision. And I right. can argue if some of the design principles are good or bad, but they made a decision of let's keep simple and small. Um, yeah. And that worked well for them. Um, if you remember <clears throat> back in the day, there is a documentary in YouTube about that, by the way, very interesting. They talk about a little bit of those wars with the other, uh, like Docker Swarm and other right, similar posts back in the day. And there was like a, a fight. And at some point, Kubernetes stayed on top. And Kubernetes has become just an operating system. It's the operating system of, of the cloud. Um, yeah, so don't, don't look sure. at it. Yeah, you don't code using system calls, right? You have frameworks, you have tools on top of it. Yep, um, 100%. That's the idea. And, and uh, you just need to be layers. I, I like that. I like that a lot. So... Okay, so now let's go back to our particular Lego brick, right? The one that, <laughs> uh, the one that we're interested in. You're building an operator to manage Spring Cloud Gateway. 
Uh, is that using Spring? Is the, oper- is the controller yeah, slash operator using Spring? It's a um, Spring Boot application, a normal one that you can run in your machine if you want. You don't need to okay. do anything special. So long you have a gate, a gate connection. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then, so that's a, that's a, and you're using the, um, you know, don't tell any company secrets that are, you know, super secret or whatever, but is it using Kubernetes, uh, the Java API for that? It's using the Kubernetes Java client. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's Kubernetes Java client or Java client Kubernetes exactly. The I never know. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, it's an open source project from the CNCF, I think. It's it's right. fine. Um, there is a specific Spring module in the repo so that you can do some auto-configuration to create the, the components that you need to run an operator. As I was saying, right. the operator at the end is just waiting for events for Kate, so you need to build right. some some bindings or bridges, depending what is your developer background. <laughs> right. And and that just as listening to those events. And it's, it's the same way you, you build a, like a REST controller with those annotations and stuff, you can build your Kubernetes controller with a right. few Spring annotations. Uh, but well, so that's we are not using that model. We do things by hand. <laughs> right. Uh, for historical reasons, that's it. Well, I think, so that's a good point. I think uh, when I first learned about how to write a controller, um, and by the way, that's, it's not the, you're right, it's not the same as a Spring MVC controller, but conceptually it kind of is, right? You yes. get requests, you get requests that come in from the API server. They go to your piece of code and they ask you to reconcile something, right? Yeah. So you have a reconcile loop and the reconcile loop is basically you're listening for messages that come in from the API server. The API server is telling you, hey, look, uh, something has changed. The user has done kubectl apply, you know, and then tried to apply this YAML file and there's new resources defined in that YAML file for type uh, whatever, you know, my custom operator. Um, And and so so that's all you've got in the controller, right? That's all all the the platform gives you is this, this object in this instance has changed. Yeah, in, in uh, fact, you, you get even less. It's more like, hey, you need to kill a dragon. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the customer asks you to, this is what they want. Right. Um, and then you have to do the work to get, okay, this is what they want. Uh, exactly what do I have now? <laughs> What's the difference? How do well, I get it, there? It doesn't even tell you. So g- being concrete, I don't think it even tells you that, right? It, it just gives you, the the user has done something with an object of this type. It doesn't tell no, you if it's you get the object. You, you do? Maybe it's different because we use it by hand, but what we get is the actual object. Oh. Um, we get the action. Okay. It's true that we did the action. We did, there was a creation. This is the object. Oh, this is an update, and this is the, the object. And this is a delete, and this is the object. But at the end of the day, we only care about the object. Like, okay, except for the delete. Uh, this oh, is the object, so... and I need to compare with what I have now. Uh, it's the magic of declarative right. things. We care. Right. We do all the details. Uh, we take care of the details under the hood. Uh, maybe you have some sort of framework. I don't know about the, at the low level. The reconciler just gives you the the resource ID. The yes, yeah. The, I don't. I, I'm, I'm skipping a few details for simplicity. Right. But yeah, you get the ID, and the first operation is just fetching it. But this is simple. And right. Sure but then it's up to you to figure out. Okay, why do I have this ID? Something was deleted. Was it created? Do I have to update it? Do I have to? What do I have to do? You know, what just changed in the world, you know? And then you use yeah, that right. to get the object and then you do a delta 
yourself. You know? Exactly. We have to do Delta. That's, that's the key part. <laughs> yeah. You have to figure out, well, okay, well, if something has changed, what has changed? What do I do? And then that's what the reconciler is, right? The user has made the state this, but the current existing live state is that. It's different, right? You need to make yeah. them to get, you need to make them be the same. You need to reconcile their state. So that process is uh, so simple. It's so it's simple. Tr- it's tricky. <laughs> there are some some like shortcuts you can take. Uh, yeah. Because there are things that, okay, I don't care. I'm just going to reapply the same things and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but and also you can do like some comparison. Basically, like you can get the, res- the current resource as a, as a YAML, the, what they ask and do a, like a diff. Yeah. So that also provides some hints, uh, quick things of, okay, what I need to do. But there are a few cases that are a bit special, especially when you are building extra elements, like, okay, I need, we create an additional volume to add some information. Things are more complicated. Right. You don't want to right. destroy a volume and recreate it in some cloud providers because that's going to take a long time. It is external right. persistence and um, things like that. <laughs> Plus you might lose data, right? So you have to like make sure yes. it does the right thing there. Yeah, said, I'm trying to simplify things. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. So, okay. Uh, that's hard stuff. I, I, I think that whole process is super interesting uh, just because traditionally a lot of people wrote uh, controllers in Go. And I think Go is a very nice language for a lot of use cases. But it, it makes me happy to see that there are people doing serious things with Java on the JVM and building a controller. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, What's the footprint like? What's the, you know, how does a typical JVM application, you know, perform yeah, well um, in that context? And can, I, can I just remove my VMware <laughs> jacket now? Uh, yeah, it's a Java application at the end of the day. If you compare it to with Golang or even more uh, memory performance platforms, uh, it's going to always lose. That's a, that's a fact. Uh, it has other advantages, right. of course. Uh, but that's that's uh, that's something I don't think it's a fair comparison. Um, and you mentioned like Go people using it for some scenarios. I have my things. I don't like Go, and, and at least across my colleagues, it seems to be a shared opinion uh, outside of work. And some people were like, "Okay, Go seems weird. It seems like something that when you have a project, is hard to manage." Right. And every time I try Go, I, I realize, even Go or other languages, but Go especially, uh, I it's like, okay, Java is so nice. Um, right. And for us, it allows to have like a very easy, especially testing. The whole, and the Spring and Spring Boot testing facilities is just so great to mock things, to, <laughs> to run. Yeah, you have a complex context, but okay, I always need these specific part of the context now for my test and you can do this and you can there is nothing like that in other platforms and right. yeah okay there is a, a some cost extra in hardware but you have to balance right development cost versus hardware cost and at the end someone will take the decision for us because we are a spring section obviously it was right. easy we're also using spring boot right it comes from also a lot of other facilities because um we not in the operator, of course, but for instance, on the gateway side, we offer some other features that are not in the open source project yet, um, because we just we are just a testing bank. Customers ask things, we implement those, and then 
when we have things very tuned and fine, we bother Spencer, which is a lovely person. Please, he's a lovely it's, human being. Yes, uh, it's so nice. <laughs> exactly, it brings you back hope in humankind. Um, <laughs> that's okay. That's the quote of this of this episode. Spencer restores people's hope for humanity. Yes, I agree. Spencer Gave is just a a lovely, lovely, very kind human being. I couldn't agree more. Exactly. And well said, sir. And then we we just uh, we can ship some of those features. And one of the things we do is like integrations with our other things. Uh, right now, we are finishing some integrations with Redis. So the ability to go to the Spring catalog and say, hey, I need to integrate with this system and there is already facilities to do that. It's also right. great and nice. Uh, but I'm diverting, uh, probably digressing. Uh, back to the original question about uh, consumption resources. Yes, it's a little bit heavier, but we are having trying, especially now that the Spring Boot 3 comes with native support, we are trying to build the operator in, with native infrastructure. Uh, native basically so you have a single binary uh, architecture specific or operating system specific but since it's a, a, a docker image you don't really care so long as uh, 8x86 right and maybe 86, someday yeah. we have yeah maybe someday we have an arm uh, right i guess uh-huh. it's a matter of time we are shifting away from uh, x86 infrastructure and uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, we have something working. Uh, still not ready for like what what customers expect. Uh, right, but it's working, and it's been a cool. lovely journey. We started like years back in the day. As soon as the first Spring Native uh, option uh, prototypes were available, uh, and we were testing and evolving, and we have seen the whole journey. And also, great thanks and appreciation for the whole Spring Native team. Um, they have done an amazing job. I mean, if you look back at what we needed to do to get native compilation two years ago versus what we need to do now, which is just a small class with 10 right. lines, right. it's it's great. Night and day differences. Yes. And we I, get I, like I the operator runs very quickly. CPU, it's less than half. Memory, it's less than a third. Uh, really, the, the operator, it doesn't bother. You don't care about the operator. It's something really small that it's running in the background. Right. I love that. And it and it's rich. It, it does everything you want it to do. You didn't compromise to get the speed. It's just yeah. as high productive as, as can be. Um, can you tell us about some of the... Where, you're moving to uh, Spring Boot 3, AOT, GraalVM, you know, the native image support. I saw an interesting blog on... Um, on, on the Gravium blog, maybe a post on the Gravium blog, uh, suggesting that because they, they just moved, they just got you. You, you and I were talking about ARM and and M1 and uh, x86. There was a blog recently, I think in December or maybe early January, where they had made Gravium run on Risk V, right? Um, yeah, and uh, like they 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 made it work on that. And now you can just com- you can cross compile to native images that work on that platform, and the, that's cool. But I don't have a use case for that personally. But the coolest part to me was they got to the bottom of the blog, and they said this work will. Maybe I'm misremembering it, it but it, uh, this part I. They said this work will. 
it, it, it suggests that there might be a way to get WebAssembly, right? Um, using GraalVM one day, you know? Ah, that's super exciting to me as well. Imagine being able to run uh, <laughs> Spring Cloud Gateway as a WebAssembly artifact, you know? Because um, it's L- mm-hmm. LLVM, and then LLVM goes to exactly. WebAssembly. That's, that's the magic. I mean, LLVM is another one of those technologies. Because I have been following the scene about LLVM and RISC 5 also for right. a long time. Everything that is open source and related to compilation, it's like my, my guilty pleasures. Um, <laughs> and I think those are like trends that we will see in the future. Uh, there is this famous, uh, now I'm talking about WebAssembly, this is this famous twist, tweet from the creator of Docker saying, like, if, if WebAssembly had existed back in the day, Docker would not exist. Uh, WebAssembly comes to, to fix many of the issues that we fix with Docker. And if right. you add on top of this, like, okay, and I can run in an open architecture hardware that I don't need to pay licenses to some company, uh, that's yeah. just going to be the future of computing. Uh, open hardware and an easy to way and secure way to ship and package my software. Uh, we are going to see it, like it or not. I'm a huge advocate for RISC-5. <laughs> Okay, Me you're, too. You're levitating. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a huge advocate as well. I think the, the, the opportunities here are just by, by making your code work in Spring Boot 3 uh, uh, using AOT and GraalVM, it's not 100% easy. There's going to be issues, and we should talk about that in just a second. Yeah. But, but by doing that, you are positioning yourself not just to, to you know, build an x86 binary today, that, like you say, is uh, you know one third of the RAM and half of the CPU, or maybe it's the other way around. I forget, but you know, either way, good numbers, right? Um, and and by the way, when you say uh, when you mention those numbers, um, how's the performance? Like, is it still handling okay? It's it's to explain it properly, a little bit of context, we are just clarifying for everyone listening. We're talking about the operator. The operator, actually, you don't care much about performance. It's okay. like a daemon running in the background. Right. So memory is nice because that's a, a, a reduction of cost in your infrastructure bill. And that's a great right. pitch for any management team. Like, hey, we can save money. Uh, so if, if you want to delve into native and you don't know how to convince people, tell them we are going to save money. <laughs> right. Um, but then on the gateway side, which we are not currently building or testing natively, but we have done in the past, uh, we saw similar numbers in memory, like less than half memory, less than half of the CPU. I don't want to say more because in some cases we were really getting like a lot less than half memory, uh, but that contradicts some of the normal uh, articles in the GraalVM blog, for instance, that you see. So it was surprising for us. And in terms of performance, we were actually seeing the same performance. Um, no interest at all. On the gateway, which means we are hitting it with thousands of requests per minute. And we are comparing the graphs. And it's like the line. You saw the, Both lines were like yep, shifting a little bit from time to time. Right. But it was the same. But it, 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 was like, it was an internal test we were doing. The problem with native is that we also support adding plugins and adding your custom filters and extensions. Right. Um, so we cannot do that with the native. So 
by now or for now gateway won't be native who knows that makes sense future. yeah so or asia totally like, I, injectations yeah and that's another yeah there there are some limitations to native images for sure we'll talk about those in a sec but but i i guess what i'm trying to say is by making that move you are not positioning yourself just for a better experience, hopefully, on x86 today, but also for this new stuff, Risk Five and yeah. WebAssembly, and you know the the or even just ARM. ARM is here today, right now, and you can take yeah. advantage of that with GraalVM. Maybe your maybe your big uh, technology change tomorrow isn't going straight to WebAssembly because that you know that's a bigger jump, but. But maybe your big, maybe your plans for 2023 involve moving more workloads to ARM. ARM is an amazing architecture. Uh, in 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 you know, it's it's supported across all the major. Well, I don't know if Ali Yun, I don't know if Alibaba's cloud. Yeah, they have ARM. their own ARM processor. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's supported across all four of the major cloud infrastructure providers, right? Uh, you know, used by, uh, you know. The majority of the deployments out there. Yeah. Amazon, Azure, uh, AWS, uh, sorry, Azure, <laughs> Google Cloud, Azure, AWS, and Aliun, right? They all have ARM support today. Right? Oracle. Oh, yeah. I forgot Oracle. They have ARM support. Actually, they have good ARM support. They're, they have a, they had it early too. So, but the point yeah, is that's, that is that's a cheap. No, go on. Yeah, I was going to say that that is this, this is still conception that ARM is lower. Um, and I think Apple just, Prove that that's not true. So not even close to true. Not, yeah, yeah, that's actually no no real reason not to shift, and that's why I say it's a trend. It's going to happen. The only it's reason we are still supporting AX eighty six is legacy systems. We cannot migrate everything, right? Um, but things will will shift. For instance, in Linux, um, there is a, a an open source project to just uh, dynamically run eighty six applications on ARM. So I guess that someday we will have also like computers will bring with those translation translation layers and we will be running ARM and we really won't care what are, what the binary was compiled. Or... Right. I mean, that's that's how fast the M1 is, the Apple M1. Apple has that Rosetta. Um, yeah. And I remember <clears throat> they had... Um, uh, Adobe, Adobe makes graphic software very demanding. And they had moved some of their applications to M1 back in 2021, the early time, early years of uh, M1, you know, the Apple M1 chips, they had moved some of their applications to M1, but not all of them. And yet, even those applications that were still running on Rosetta, which is a translation layer, an emulation layer, those applications on M1 were faster than a similarly priced Intel MacBook Pro could run them on x86, you know? Yes, but... Crazy. I'm a little bit of an Apple hater, so... Sure. <laughs> but the, so I, I try to look for... Whenever I get this big news from Apple, I go into the other direction and like, okay, let's look for something that contradicts that. And, and there Why? is some... First one, well, because basically... No, no, I mean... I, I, I'm, I'm saying let's do that. Yeah, why is that good news real? Yeah. Um, the thing is that Apple is first cheating in their own marketing materials. You can see that they publish sometimes some graphs, graphs mm -hmm. that don't have the actual numbers. 
on the coordinates, which is why. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, there was a controversial thing with the first M1 release that they had to remove the graphs from the web page because people were complaining that people doing actual testing with the real hardware saying, okay, that doesn't, that's not true. And they had to remove it. So upper marketing material is, is shady. And the second thing is that M1, current M1 and M2 are cheating. They have a specific hardware to help with the translation from a x86 to ARM. Mm -hmm. So there is some optimization at the hardware level. And that's also a good thing because when they remove that, those chips are going to be even better. And that's a hopeful thing. And the other thing is that the Adobe and some graphical applications use a specific graphic, uh, hardware encoders also. So mm -hmm. most of the work is not done on, on like the normal CPU, it's done on the GPU. Mm -hmm. So it's not a fair comparison to say like, okay, I'm using the a specific age uh, 261 encoder that everyone knows, even that, that Apple has very optimized on their chips. And then yeah. I'm comparing that with running the same encoder, but not using the GPU chip, but using the CPU on Intel. That's not fair. That's obviously going to provide a worse result. I'm sorry for mm. the matter. <laughs> so comparing ARM to Intel chips is really complicated. Uh, you have to very look for very specific applications because you have the same thing on the other side, like some applications perform much better on Intel chips. On which chips? On Intel, on a X, uh, X, X, X86. Also, that, that, so, oh, you mean like games or something? Yeah, games and all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can, you can no, I, Just I avoid think I, Apple sponsored chan YouTube channels and you can see some more fair comparisons. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. So, I, I, you're, 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 I, I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole. I, I agree that, uh, arm is awesome. That's the, yeah, that's too. where we're, that's where I was trying to go. And I just happen to think Apple has led the way. As you said, Apple is leading the way there, right? They, they, uh, yeah, yeah, they have no, shown that you can be extremely fast. They are not I mean, Raspberry Pis, right? Arm is yeah. not Raspberry Pi. Arm is more like M1. Um, yeah, exactly. That's and, what uh, we, we hope to get. Especially in power okay. efficiency, right? right. So let's let's close the topic. <laughs> yeah. So I just think it's a really interesting opportunity for uh, people today to build applications uh, to take advantage of this new wave of ar architecture. So why? Um, what pain will they discover? Obviously, there's uh, you know there's it's not free to move to no. Gravium. There's some work you need to do, but uh, maybe you can help explain. Some of the places where, um, where, where, because I think this, if you look at the problem of, hey, I've got this code base and it doesn't compile yet, you know, I can't get it to compile. I think it can be very daunting and make it hard for people yeah. to move. I think a lot of people should start with their new apps first, you know, try going greenfield and going native with that first. And then yes, you'll have a lot yeah. of. Familiarity. To get something native, uh, it's kind of an incremental effort and it requires constant maintenance, but the same way you maintain your application. So for instance, in your CI, we, I recommend like you should have two CIs, uh, for, one for the Java mode and one for the native mode. So whenever, if you add some new code, some especially external libraries, the, the problem usually comes when you're adding third-party libraries. Those mm -hmm. may not be native support uh, ready. So right. you, you catch that as soon as possible. Uh, if you have that in place and you, you do this from the first day, that's nice. Uh, the yeah. problem is, as you mentioned, I have this big application. 
and hey, I want to make it native. And I just, for instance, in Spring Boot, let's say you have your application. You bump to Spring Boot 3, you add the native plugin. Because now also, if you're using Gradle, for instance, we use Gradle, it's just adding the Gradle native plugin and everything is taken care of for you. You don't need any extra build configuration. Right. You run your boot build image in our case, for instance. So you, you directly ship a Docker image. Why bother building things locally? Just make a Docker image. Right. And you run it and hey, no, compile, compile compilation phase. And you start like, you, you see some cryptic errors about missing classes and you don't know like why why the classes in my class path uh, or missing files and why why the things that from a java standpoint that make sense so my first right. advice usually is like understand what native compilation means right there is one one key aspect which is the closed wall assumption i hope i'm pronouncing is good enough perfectly so the compiler at compile time needs to know everything that it needs at runtime. So it needs to be able to anticipate what classes are going to be needed, what files are going to be needed at runtime. And that's something right. that some people don't realize. Java as a language is a static, but as a, a runtime is very dynamic in reality. Right. So you can see the contradiction. <laughs> you have yeah. something that has been designed to be very dynamic, Load, it loads classes dynamically. It can allows you to just look for files in the class path at any moment. And that's a no-no when you're doing native compilation. Right, so, absolutely. And that's the kind of things you find. And that's why you need the CI. So, okay, when I run tests, because sometimes you get things to compile and they fail during run tests. Right. And that's what we have been struggling lately. It's a learning process. When you learn to identify those things at compile time, then compilation is easy. Also, Spring provides a way to make uh, compilation configurations in Java code, which is amazing. Um, if you look at Graal configuration, it's YAML files. Um, it's or, not even JSON. sorry. It's not even yeah. It's not even YAML files. It's JSON files. Right. Which is which is I think worst. Um, let's not go into that <laughs> discussion. Um, but now with the Spring Boot, you can just do the same configuration in Java. So that means you can test your configuration. The configuration compiles, so you don't have typos. I'm famous for my typos in the team. Yeah. Um, and, and this makes things really, really easy. Also, it's very compact. You can do dynamic yeah. things like look for classes. You, I need to uh, provide, this is called hints. So I need to provide some hints for all the classes in this specific package. So you can search for the classes. And, and say to the compiler, hey, take into consideration those classes, please, when you are compiling. And that makes things so much easier. So much easier. Yeah. Yes, but just um, think about it. Like, okay, I need to, to understand that everything that is needed at runtime needs to be known at compile time. Once you interiorize that, you're ready to start it. And I, I think it's also, yeah, 100%. That's in terms of what GraalVM expects, but also uh, Spring as well. When it operates in an AOT world, it forces you to ship at compile time code, the only, co only the code that you will run at runtime. Whereas on the JRE, the code that you ship at compile time is a superset, perhaps, yeah. of the code that may run at runtime. And what I mean by that is in spring on the JRE, it's natural to hide certain objects or certain beans, you know, bean definitions, uh, based on something like a profile 
or a condition uh, or other things that rely on ambient state, you know, uh, things like, well, anything, right? It could be like, oh, what's the stock market? But that's ridiculous. You could say, you know, is there um, a property defined uh, or is there a, another class present or something? And since the class path on the JRE can change, these conditions can also change, right? Yeah. But also some things are ambient, like am I running on Kubernetes? Well, that, you know, if you're if you compile off of Kubernetes, then these conditions that test whether you are on Kubernetes will never run because they will be false at compile time and therefore they will not ship anything or result in any code in the binary for runtime, right? Yeah. But, but that's part of the, of the plausible assumption thing. It's okay. Yeah. You need to run this application in these three modes because you have three profiles. <clears throat> you need to put all the information to the compiler so it can run it. Profiles out of the box won't work unless you do some tuning. Which is right. not hard. Um, and really, right. um, as someone who has seen the whole journey from the JSON file to the Java hints, it's just really so, so much you know. better. <laughs> but but it requires an extra maintenance. I'm not going to lie. But right. it's not like a huge thing. It's like the usual typical, typical thing like, okay, from time to time, uh, you need to review your dependencies or you need to review your built scripts, your Gradle version, things like that. So it's, it's another one of those chores that you need to run from time to time. Right. Um, and and the thing you were, you were mentioning about the profiles specifically, this is already documented, uh, so it's a known thing. Sure, it's a known limitation, and I'm hopeful that the Spring Native, which is great, uh, will be able to fix that. Other than that, and maybe some surprises, we have been finding some surprises, like the typical corner cases, um, and yeah. I don't think that's representative of the real situation. But if you are using normal Spring Boot application um, with the Spring modules, that right. should be fine. Um, if you are start adding third-party libraries, that's when the things become funny. And right. then the usual recommendation would be to report back to upstream, like say, hey, we are running in Graal. Do your research and say, uh, could you, I think you need to do those changes or do a PR if it's an open source project, whatever. Try to contribute. Uh, if you can fix that project, that's going to help the rest of the world. The upstream, um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, the hints in your project should be like the last resort. Right, right. That's a very good point. They can get you to production today, but the ultimate yeah. result should be just to upstream them, uh, if at all possible. Yeah, good, yeah. Some, some, some. Do, do we have hints, did you say? Uh, yeah, we have We have been dealing with some logging configurations recently, and that's specific, it's something for our project, so it makes a lot of right. sense that it's, it's a specific hint that we only us need. It's not something right. that we should share. That's true, yeah. And that's the other thing, is I think one of the things I love about the GraalVM mechanism uh, and the way that Spring uh, supports it is that you can package hints up with your library code, right? Um, so I can create a library, package up some JSON config for GraalVM hints, or I can register a, I can contribute, let's say, a, a runtime hints registrar or a, a bean, factory, bean factory initialization, AOT processor, or something like that. I can package that up in my Spring Boot library jar, deploy that to Maven Central. And now if you consume that in your Spring Boot app, you can just create a native image out of it and it'll just work with my library, you know, if yeah. there is something in my library. You'll never even know that it required anything special. It just works, you know? That's awesome. Um, yeah, and in fact, there is another layer on tip. There are like 
several ways that Graal VM tries to find this configuration required to compile. Uh, that's right. the, the first level, like, okay, it's, it's already in the library. There is a second level, with, there is an open source project called Metadata Reachability uh, in right. the Oracle GitHub repos. And there, if, if the original project is not providing that configuration, this can be added to that project with the consent, I guess, and licenses. Uh, yeah. I, I don't go into the legal stuff. Uh, from the original maintainers or not, I don't know. And there you can find like an index of a lot of projects with the specific configurations that project needs. And a Spring Boot uh, native already pulls that. So when you are building, if it cannot find the, if you are using a third party library, it that doesn't have any configuration, it reaches that repo, tries to find the configuration there. So also automatically, it could be that uh, third party libraries work out of the box. And it's also that also makes life so much easier. Before that, you had to like look at the configurations, copy files, uh, manage, right. maintain manually. It's, it's it was a mess. It was really not production ready, but now it's it is. It's like yeah, yeah, much better. And it's it's supported out of the box by the Spring Boot three yeah. as well, so you don't have to do anything. That's awesome. Uh, wow, I we have talked about just everything. I love it. Um, it just sounds like you're doing all the really interesting stuff. You're the you're you're doing the stuff I think people want to hear about because it's, uh, you know, it's it's taking Kubernetes and it's taking it further with Spring. And, you know, and, and me personally, I love hearing your story because uh, I love Spring as an application developer, but it is really interesting to hear about it in its application as a, or in its use as a um, uh, systems programming, not, not, not kernel programming, but, you know, yeah. infrastructure programming language, right? I, uh, Java can be very useful when you build infrastructure. Look at all the databases, for example, and message queues built using Java. But I love hearing about it as this like very natural thing in a Kubernetes world as well. Yeah, we're just like it's like extending Kubernetes. It's adding another yeah, so problem cool. to it. Um, my friend, this has been just an amazingly informative conversation. Uh, but I think people are going to have questions, comments, feedback. Where do they find you? Are you on the internet? And if so, uh, do you want to be found? And if so, where can people find you? Um, I'm I'm glad to be found. Um, I cannot commit on answering times. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I try to, to make some balance and for instance, some days like family day. So today I'm just living phone a day at home and, and things like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically at Abel S. Romero on Twitter. Um, and that's maybe the easiest way, public way to get me. Cool. I yeah. I if if you have, <clears throat> I'm sure there are better ways to get tech support than sending or Abel here uh, messages on Twitter. Yeah, Don't but then just send me a DM, and then we can just discuss on email or other channels. But this right, this, like, like this is the initial point. It's a it's a. But if you want to talk to somebody who's doing some amazing things and you want to uh, learn more, maybe find his. You can read his tweets and uh, uh, and so on. Do you have a blog? Um, yes, many people have a blog that haven't updated in years, so I don't bother. <laughs> now, uh, question: You are you have a you know you have a unique privilege uh, as a as a person living in in Spain, which is that you speak you speak obviously fluent English, uh, but also uh, fluent Catalan and fluent Spanish, right? right English yeah. is there's a lot of people that speak English. There's like 28% of the world speak Spanish, right? That's a that's a huge chunk of the world. So do you do you write in Spanish or in English when you write, or in Catalan? 
depends on the use. Um, when you scenario, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. For bilingual uh, people, the main thing is English is for work. That's it. Uh, I see. Uh, maybe cool. sometimes personal notes. If I'm writing like a personal note to myself in my calendar during work hours, I my brain doesn't shift. And I find like, okay, remember to to uh, book a visit to the dentist in my agenda. Right, <laughs> right. Um, no, no, I meant for the blog. Ah, English, English. My popular oh, communications. Really? Uh, in Twitter, sometimes I do something in Spanish, uh, very rarely in cool. Catalan, but usually when it's something like local. Um, That's like, so cool. Yeah, something related like me ranting about my ISP provider. I do it in Spanish. <laughs> uh, but usually it's just communications in English. Uh, it's a lingua franca. That's it. I look at it. I know. I just think, uh, I, so, you know, I do, uh, this week in spring, right. The, the roundup of all the, uh, blogs and content out there. And, you know, most things that I, as a English speaker find on the internet, again, Google knows who I am, right. Most things that I find are, you know, they're in English. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I know that when I, every now and then I'll put an article, in the roundup in Spanish or port- is there, there's articles that I discover in Portuguese or Spanish or German or Chinese or Japanese, whatever. If I link to them or French, you know, I speak French. So if I link to these articles in the blog, French, French is the jamel of languages. Please don't name it. <laughs> the what? French is the jamel of languages. How dare you? <laughs> uh, so, so if I add those, um, uh, blogs you know people really like those those are very popular because i think there's a lot of english but not a lot for each community i think maybe spanish has a very 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 you know rich community as well though yeah we are lucky from from the local java users group we are in contact also with other java users groups in spain like in madrid and in galicia there are a few Um, but also with the ones in latin america and in fact we make like synchronized events from time to time i made a talk about springboard 3 and native for uh, wow Colombia, I think it was Colombia, Jack. It was confusing because I started talking with some teams from some community and they, they, they ask other community to host it. And I don't remember who it was. Usually um, just talk to, to them and, and some community can host the event and it's a very close community. So, so And if it's online, you get people from all Latin America and Mexico also. So there is a awesome. lot of Spanish activity also. In fact, in... But, yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to say in that Nexus, there was like, uh, I think it was the JFrog booth, uh, hosted yeah. like a small section um, with um, Itchel and Andres and Mirai. And they hosted like, they invited some of the uh, LATAM uh, groups there. And we had like a small talk in Spanish also. That's so cool. I love those two. They're old friends. Um, good. Where Where can people learn about the... First of all, the conference, JBCN, where can they learn about that? It's, it's now DevBCN. Um, as I was saying, we, we switched because now it's uh, we decided to, okay, 1,000 people is cool. Can we make it 2,000? <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the thing we realized is like, okay, maybe the Java wall is not big enough. Uh, so it, it will be a more um, open conference, including other topics, and it will be called DevBCN. D-E-V-B-C-N. Yeah, yeah, Google for it and you will find the website. Uh, Go for Paper, it's open, by the way. Tickets are already okay. opened. Okay. Tickets, I think, are, are almost sold out, I think. 
I'm confused. Okay, better hurry, people. Yeah, um, we haven't opened then, sponsorships yet. So if you want to apply for a sponsorship, like free tickets for students and things like that, it will be open at some point. But it's a risk. You get the ticket now or you wait and risk it. It's up to you. Um, but yeah. And what about uh, the, 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 the Java user group community? What can people learn about that? In Spain, it's a, it's a meetup mostly. Um, meetup.com, look for Barcelona mm-hmm. Jack, J U G, and you will find it very quickly. That's where we post our events. Uh, if we are lucky with at least one month or even two months in advance, yeah. most of them now we are back to physical events, but we try to record and publish on YouTube always. Nice. Uh, not always, not always online because that requires a lot. Streaming it's another layer of complexity that we still are not professionals. Sure. But but yeah, um, at least in YouTube the, we post all those. Awesome, super cool, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, uh, to walk me through all the cool stuff you're doing, and uh, I hope people will uh, you know find their way to you and to the conference and to the community. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, really. It's, it's amazing. Cheers. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, And if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.